Organizers on one side accused educators of exposing children to gender ideology. Many said they were protesting the premature sexualization and potentially harmful indoctrination of children, but they weren't standing against LGBTQ2S plus people. Still, some of their messaging suggested otherwise. The role models, the teachers, the principals for this generation are complete degenerates, and uh, they are, they're teaching perversion in their classrooms. They're telling kids to change their genders. Hi, and welcome to Human Spectrums, a podcast series produced for CMRU.ca and the Community Podcast Initiative at MRU. The Community Podcast Initiative is powered by Shaw. We're your hosts, Remy Vogt and Gus Hunt. This podcast is produced by the students in the Broadcast Media Studies Program at Mount Royal University. MRU sits on Treaty 7 territories, home to generations of knowledge, culture, and stories. We acknowledge the hereditary keepers of these lands, the Nitsidipi, Iahe Nakoda, Tsutina, and the Métis peoples. We also recognize the historical and ongoing oppression that many Indigenous cultures and nations face. We seek to decolonize storytelling by including voices and knowledge too often overlooked in the media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Human Spectrums. In this episode, The Trans Panic, we will explore transgender experiences and rights in Canada. I'm your host, Remy. And I'm Gus. And today's episode is highly significant because we're talking about the alarming emergence of trans panic in 2023. We have special guest Mason Jenkins, a local tattoo artist and a member of the LGBTQ community. We have the privilege of being able to allow Mason to share his story and address the harms that arise from trans panic. And I just want to talk a little bit about yourself, just what you do. Some, yeah, uh, I am a transgender Calgarian, so I was born and raised here in 1989, and I transitioned in 2011, which is like kind of the stone age for a lot of like other trans youth. They're like, oh, wow, okay, wow. So it's... um. My perspective is definitely like a bit more <laughs> historical at this point, which is strange to say. Um, but it's nice to see that like for a time, things were going so well for like younger folks. And now it's not, which I think is what we're going to talk about today. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, so if you want to share just when you sort of first sensed that your gender identity might be the one, might be different from the one assigned at birth. Absolutely. Yeah. So I love actually hearing other people tell this kind of story. And I, I think mine falls right in line of like not being overly traumatic and not being overly boring. I think it's like a nice middle zone. So yeah. <laughs> when I was like three or so, I remember having instances of um, not feeling aligned with like what I understand to be like being a girl, quote unquote, right? Because like, what does that mean? Um, and I always really aligned with, I was raised Catholic. So my understanding of like what gender, what like bodies even like look like is so minimum. And I eventually got to the understanding at age three that like boys had penises, girls had, we don't know, but that was like what I was taught. So I was like, okay, I'm noticing this pattern that everything that the penis people have is what I align with. I'm like, man, penis people have the best clothes. Penis people have the best jobs. Like, it's all very traditional gender role stuff, which now I can, you know, separate myself from a bit more and I've like broadened my horizons. But initially, I'm, I see myself just as this very binary person within like gender identity. Um, but yeah, like in the early 90s, such a classic textbook case of like 
transgender child, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, like, being even older, like, five, six, seven, eight, um, blowing out candles on my birthday cake and, like, getting to make that wish that you don't have to tell anybody. And it was always like, oh, I want to be a boy. And I'd blow out the candles. Um so it's nice that everything worked out for me. Everything's worked out great, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, I guess when did you, as you got older, when did you sort of have that, like, moment of, like, yeah. you know, realizing that, one, be, being transgender is something that you could do yeah, and then exactly. deciding that you wanted to transition? That's, like, the exact wording that, like, I always use. I'm like, this is something I got to do. Um, I didn't know transgender people existed until my first year of university. Um, so in high school, my understanding was super limited. Like I had Rocky Horror Picture Show and I understood that that somehow Dr. Frankenfurter was some part of kind of this like trans identity that I was like slowly becoming aware of. But I was like, but that's not me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, not, I love, love the musical, but that's, you know, you don't see yourself in like a character like that. And it wasn't until university. Um, I had a girlfriend who actually sent me a YouTube link to a transgender man and she was like this person reminds me of you and it was just such a gentle nudge um and it was just so shocking to me because I had no concept that like the birthday cake wishes could come true and it was scary because I was like well now I have to do this so it was weird to have that information because I was like there's no going back at this point right yeah when you actually started to transition mm -hmm. uh sort of what did that entail you know yeah. Whatever you want to go into, whatever you want to go into detail on, like the totally. social aspect or the medical aspect. Yeah. Um, all of it was like very interesting and very slow because this is like 2010, 2011 time. And people were still very like, are you sure? Whereas like now people I think have a more um, like accepting uh, position on things and they're more willing to be like, oh, we'll have this space to explore. And, you know, for younger folks, they can use hormone blockers so that would delay secondary sexual characteristics so that they could delay puberty and figure things out a little bit longer. Um, so for me, being like 20, 21 years old, uh, people were like, oh, uh, mm, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Are you sure? Um, so, yeah, I had to see like a bajillion therapists and psychologists and doctors and psychiatrists and it was a, a very long process and it was funny because like I think I think we've come a long way because I remember the psychologist that I saw that was supposed to help me with my transition terrible person like <laughs> <laughs> I've actually forgotten this person's name which I think is part of my healing journey not that I was going to out them on here but um I had this initial meeting, and I was still living at home with my parents at the time. It was like summer, so I was back from university. I went to U of A, and I was back from university, and I went to my parents, and I tried to kind of pitch this idea of wanting to see a mental health expert about my gender, but not specifically saying to be more masculine. I was like, I just, I just have some questions about gender, and I think they thought that I was trying to become more feminine because that's something that I tried to do in high school to just fit in. And I was pretty successful, but I was miserable. Uh, so I think that they saw that, like, struggle was coming back, being away from home and being at university and getting to be myself. So I went to this psychologist, and my parents drove me. And even before meeting with this person one-on-one, -on -one, even before she understood my situation with my family or our relation or, like, their level of acceptance, she was like, why don't you bring your parents in and you can tell them why you're here today? I was like, Jesus Christ, I could have been killed, you know? Like, that's so unreal to me. Um, luckily, my parents are pretty cool. My mom, she's a great ally and a wonderful human and just, like, the best person you want to have on your team. 
But in 2011, she was quite hesitant because she was had a lot of fear, right, about that. Like, what does this mean? Can you even do that? Ah, what are the neighbors going to think? You know, stuff like that. So totally fair. Don't worry, mom. I get it. Um, so she was. She had to go through a mourning period. Whereas my dad, very funny guy, uh, he took about 30 seconds and he, like, looked up at me. He's like, we have to change your name. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, we do. I have a very, I had a very feminine name. And he's like, I think I got the perfect name. And I was like, what, what is it? And he said, Butch. And I was like, God damn it, dad. <laughs> so it's just like these interesting dynamics of like very low lows and very high highs. <laughs> and like just how, how a family can, um, you know, use humor to try to navigate these like extremely awkward, uh, jarring moments. Yeah. Yeah, for good sure. Times, good times. Yeah. Did you, what was it like just sort of as you realized who you were? What was, what were the positive sort of uh, effects it had when you started your transition? And, um, you know, how how were you back then compared to now? Yeah. I'm going to try to find, like, like a cozy way of explaining this. Um, if you there's know, no cozy way, then There's no cozy way, that's go okay. Go for it. I, I kind of share about when I'm younger, I wasn't able to, like, see myself in the future at all. Yeah. Like, I was not able to see myself as, like, an older person um, or, like, as a, a partnered person or a married person or, like, anything like that because I think I was just going to kill myself. Like, it was not good. Um, and I, I know that's hard for folks to hear, but, like, especially, like, if you see other people that are able to, like, be authentic and, and live their lives and for whatever reason that is not available to you, then it's hard to think about anything else. And I, and even before I like came out to my family, I had these really dark thoughts like, well, if like my parents weren't around, then like I think I would go for it, which is like really fucked up to be like, is that, is that what you really want? You want your parents to not be like on this planet anymore? I wasn't gonna take matters into my own hands. I'm not a murderer, but I was like, oh, you know, that's like the deepest, darkest place where I was like, holy shit, like my parents love me if I just tell them who I am, this will all work out. I don't need to be like hoping to be like orphaned or something, right? Like, yeah. Anyways, I don't think like that anymore, people, so please don't judge. It was a dark time. It was dark. Yeah. <laughs> how important, how, how different do you think things would be if you had access to more knowledge and more uh, gender-affirming care when you were younger? And how important do you think uh, stuff like that is right now? If I had access to gender-affirming care as a young person and was able to have my my uh, identity affirmed, I don't think I would have grown up to be so funny. Brutal. That's a terrible joke. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I probably would have been an astronaut. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I would have been the CEO of some company. I don't know. Uh, I think there's a lot of good things that can come from having to be resilient and having to overcome obstacles. But then there's a lot of terrible things that come from having to face oppression every single day. Um, so, yeah, I would love to go back to, like, maybe, oh, I don't know. It was maybe, what's, like, 10 years ago? I feel like 10 years ago, like, the transgender community was really flourishing. Um, I was really excited because, you know, when I was coming out as a transgender man, uh, back in the day, it was, like, the no hate campaign, if some, like, other folks can remember that. And I was just thinking, like, yeah, it does get better. And I was so excited to be like, it will get better. But guess what? 
it's gotten terrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I've gone off on a tangent. But yeah, I'd like for, for people to be nurturing and celebrating of all of our uh, transgender folks, young, old, everybody. I think, I think that there's just so much that the transgender community provides for the world and so much that like we we can um, share with other people we tend to be very charming folks uh so for people to not hate us that would be so cool (laughs) (laughs) for sure yeah yeah and uh we sort of touched on this a little bit but um just from your own perspective and within your own circle uh how have you seen attitudes on the trans community shift over time Mm -hmm. well you use that that great um summary like trans panic because that's what it is um we're having some people use some very old tricks from uh some fascist eras about like um uh you know where you'd identify people as like oh they're coming for your children and i'm like come on think of something new come on we people should see this immediately and be like oh I know where y'all got that one from, uh, but they're not, which is really upsetting. Uh, blood libel, look it up, y'all. Uh, yeah, so that's that's a concerning thing because transgender people are definitely uh, not going to hurt your kids. And I think the the interesting thing is I can't say for certain that there's like no transgender person out there that like isn't a harmful person, but I think there's differences in like what our communities do. So for me, grew up Catholic, you know was in the Catholic Church, uh, you might look at that institution and see how they handle people that have harmed others. Usually they cover it up. They move people around. They accommodate for these people that hurt other people. Whereas what I've seen in the transgender community, um, though I haven't, because I haven't come across anybody that was hurting kids, um, I'd like to think that in the transgender community, we would make sure that person got support and that they weren't having a position of power to access people or to cause harm like that. Because, um, yeah, I've talked to people at these, like, drag story times, and they're talking about how um, there's pedophiles in this community. And I'm like, y'all know that we are strongly against pedophilia, right? Like, we are on your side. If there was someone in there that was actually hurting kids, we would be right here with you. But guess what? That's not what is happening. Uh, so that's deeply upsetting. Uh, and, yeah, we've had, like, over 500 bills be attempted to pass in in the United States. And we know that everything that's a cough in America is a sneeze in Canada. So we're just kind of, you know, trying to make sure that we can have um, federal rights in case these provincial ones disappear. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just scary times. It's not good. What do you sort of see as like the root of the just kind of out of nowhere, like specific targeted scapegoating of Mm -hmm. the trans community. Well, I'm not an expert on this, but it seems like moral panics come from any kind of uh, equity or progress in society. And then the people that hold power instantly freak out and they're like, oh, we got to keep this hierarchy. We have to keep this division. We have to always have to have an us and a them. Um, So yeah, these moral panics just pop up, right? And I think that the Christo-fascists see transgender people as an easy target because we are usually a pretty small community, like 0.1% of the population, right? Very small. Um, and we tend to be pretty closeted, surprisingly, uh, which is something that I'd love to see change more. Um, I try to just be out as a transgender person as often as I can. I do know that it comes with a lot of privilege because um, I am a white man. I'm not, you know, going to be the person that's going to be um, harmed, you know? So I do 
do take that comment with a grain of salt, everyone, that, like, you don't need to out yourself if you're going to put yourself in danger. But if there's a ways that, like, um, folks that are transgender that do have some power in our communities can share our stories like we're doing right now, um, I think people can have a bit more empathy and understanding, right? Like, oh, gosh, I remember there not being many, like, trans uh, celebrities and still not that many, but I remember like coming out to my parents and my mom being like, well, at least now if I ever meet Cher, we have something in common. You know, I'm like, you know what, whatever you need, mom. And I would love to meet Cher too. So Cher, if you're listening, uh, call me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moral panics. Right. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a response to like equity and like a pushback from, from people that want to oppress others. Yeah. And, uh, and then that sort of has spread into Canada lately. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've had the Saskatchewan Parents Bill of Rights mm -hmm. where uh, if, if a kid in a school changes their name, mm -hmm. then the parents, like, ha I can't remember if they have to be notified mm -hmm. or if they need to give approval. It's mm -hmm. something like that. And It's not good either way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's also... Uh, a similar sort of thing happened in Alberta a few years ago when I was in high school. Um, the UCP had just come into to power, and uh, there was a, a, a bill or some legislative change where parents had to be notified if students or parents wouldn't be notified, but they would have the right to ask and be informed. Like the school couldn't withhold information if mm -hmm. a student joined, like a GSA. Yeah, and it's sort of coming back and that's that sort of same line of, of thinking and legislation is coming back now and mm -hmm. just want to know what are your sort of how do you envision that the bills like that mm -hmm. uh you know harming kids right it's like that weird thing that like parents own their kids which i think is such a harmful like sentiment to have um yeah, if parents are listening, like, yeah, you, you reproduced and you, you duplicated, but you don't own that person. And, like, if they want nothing to do with you, then, yeah, there's probably a reason. Um, <laughs> yeah, the good thing about those kinds of bills is that they usually do not – they're not enforced. Because teachers – I was a teacher. I taught um, – I was an elementary school teacher from 2012 to, like, 2017. Um Usually teachers just laugh and say, okay, yeah, sure. And nothing is ever, um, nothing really ever comes of it. So that's one positive. Um, but yeah, it is, it is um, harmful that people think that uh, we have the right to control uh, how someone wants to express themselves. And, and it's funny because parents are like, well, what if, what if it's just a phase? Yeah, you know what? Your kid might just be playing hockey for like five years. That's also a phase. Lots of things are phases, and we shouldn't just totally ignore our kids or, like, just disregard them and gaslight them, right? Um, I fully encourage kids to have, like, gender exploration. I think that's awesome because otherwise you're not going to find out what is going to work for you, right? And so, yeah, maybe it is a phase. Can you at least say that, like, I supported my child 100% throughout all of it? Yeah. There are organizations like the One Million March for Children claiming to be concerned about child safety. There were confrontations in cities big and small right across the country. 
as demonstrators spoke out against the teaching of sexual and gender diversity in the classroom. I want my grandbabies to grow up well-rounded with their own thoughts without being coerced. Um, just want to hear like, if you have any other sort of thoughts on that whole movement and, you know, the people involved and, and kind of what they're pushing. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, like, it, they seem to be pushing this very, like, binary, like, let kids be kids. But I'm like, if you knew children, a lot of them are just queer as fuck. And you just got to let them, let, hey, let kids be kids. We're, on either side, we're kind of shouting the same thing. We're like, protect the kids, let kids be kids. And they're saying the same thing. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, uh, you don't know any kids. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's upsetting. And then to also, like, it's it kind of comes from a position of decolonization, too, because this idea of, like, boys and girls is, like, a very Eurocentric uh, Catholic kind of way of thinking, right? If we look at other cultures, uh, there's lots of different genders or different ways to express gender. Uh, there's a lot of, like, Canadian patriots out there that are talking about boys and girls. And I'm like, if you are a real patriot to this land, you will know that indigenous people often will have like other ways of determining gender than just like these two boxes that say like penis vagina right uh, so yeah it's it's a weird thing that people are doing and I, it's not great and it is the same group of like the anti-vax people and the oh, white lives matter people it's the same folks and they're just trying to clamor on to whatever cause will get them uh, more money more of a platform and more of an opportunity to wreck everything for all of us <laughs> yeah yep uh, what are your thoughts on just like in the sense of kids like from a young age learning about um, queer identities mm -hmm. and and history and media and things like that? What are your what are your thoughts on on that becoming uh, more commonplace and, and normalized? Yeah, people get so worried about like how am I going to explain this to my kids? And it's like I hate to tell you this, but straight people have been sexualizing children a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> than like anybody else like you know when you see like the baby wearing that shirt that's like ladies man and you're like what is happening or like you got the little baby in the the onesie that's like heartbreaker and it's like it's just so weird to me like uh you have the two kids playing in the sandbox a boy and a girl and they're like oh they're gonna get married someday and i'm like this is so weird can you imagine if there was like two boys in the sandbox and i was like they're boyfriends people would beat my face in you know but I would also never say that because it's weird. We don't need to be like sexualizing kids. Uh, so yeah, when people are like, oh, I don't know how to explain that to my kids. Kids get it. Kids are very chill. Um, even transgender stuff, I think that they're they're pretty chill. Like, the, we have some rules that we've had for a long time about what boys do and what girls do. Um, you know, like I bet if I made a little pile of toys and I was like, what do you think? Can like some of you organize this pile into boy stuff and girl stuff? A lot of them could. If I'm like talking to adults, I'm like, think of traditional gender roles and organize this tiara and this army helmet and this toy truck and this hockey skate and this ballet slipper. Organize these into uh, traditional gender roles. Like people can do it because it's learned, right? But if we start showing kids like, hey, traditionally, this Barbie, girls like Barbie. But if you're not a girl, you can still like Barbie. That's okay. This podcast, clearly I have a sponsorship going. I don't know why I'm talking about Barbie so much. I apologize. Uh, capitalism comes comes for us all, you know? Uh, yeah, but, like, kids kids can learn about that stuff. Um, anyway, you don't always have to make it, like, have a focus. People are always, like, worried about having a focus on, like, genitals, like, sexual components. And I don't think we need to do that. But even if I get into more of my leftist mindset, I'm like, but why not? I think it's totally fair to talk to kids about their bodies, like, 
the people that don't want kids to understand their bodies and have a lot of shame associated with parts of their bodies are often up to no good. Because if kids can't explain, hey, this is my personal space, this is my private space, I don't have any shame about this part of my body, I can name it, I can tell you what components it has, all that, um, I think those kids are going to be more willing to tell people to get the fuck away from them or tell another person if someone hurts them. Um, when we create shame and silence around parts of our body, I'm like, y'all are up to no good. <laughs> right? So, yeah, things can be taught at any grade level that can be age appropriate. Consent, we can talk about with kids like, hey, if you're playing with that toy in the sandbox and someone comes over and takes it without asking you, you're going to feel pretty upset, right? It's important to ask first. Like, we can talk about all these things and not go into like some uh, inappropriate discussions with kids. I just want to hear your thoughts on on representation uh, in media or just you know, public figures in general, like, uh, and how important that is, and uh, how maybe your experiences might have been different had you had that growing up. Totally, yeah. You can't be what you can't see, so it is important to give. Um, it's important, like that media people that make art, television, all that stuff. Like you have to reflect the clientele that you're serving, right? So basically the goal is to hold up a mirror to the people that um, are consuming whatever you're providing, right? So that's going to often include trans people, yeah. Mason Jenkins works as a tattoo artist and burlesque performer in Calgary. To follow his work, you can check out his Instagram at Tomboy Selleck. This podcast series is produced by the students of MRU's Broadcast Media Studies program. This episode was put together by Gus Hunt, Remy Vogt, Regan Tkach, Suk Dillon, Terrell Orston, and Kaylee Stobart. Our series production team is Taylor Boisberg, Aiden Bragg, Will Brennan, Marcus Hollingsworth, Aldi Loshi, Christian Savard, and Kaylee Stobart. I'm Gus Hunt. And I'm Remy Vogt. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.